Okay, um, welcome to another edition of Culture Class Podcast, uh, the podcast where we get to interact with people from different backgrounds, get to learn about other cultures and see uh, what's going on uh, in other people's lives. My name is Nusayari and today I have yet another guest. Welcome to the podcast, Priscilla. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. How are you doing? How's your day been so far? How's your weekend? My weekend was relaxing. It was me time. So I got to relax and recharge. It was good. Nice. Do you get to do that often, like me time, or is something you're trying to... <laughs> so it's always like, go, 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 work, work, work. Yeah, but um, usually like me time is something I always have, but I think because of the summer, like it's been so crazy and I'm trying to do a lot of things that I was just like running back and forth. It wasn't until like my mom interviewed she's like, cancel all your plans. <laughs> like you need a day off, a weekend off. So that's exactly what Really? That doesn't sound like yes. an African parent. Is your mom African? Let me start from there. Because yeah. I know you're... Oh, your parents are from Congo. I was born there. Oh, you were born yes. in Congo. So both your parents are from Congo. Yes. Okay, so that's the first time I'm literally seeing, <laughs> hearing about an African mom uh, doing that, talking about me time. Really? Isn't that common? Um, maybe from, let me not even say where I'm from. Like typically even among friends, I really don't know if parents ever say, hey, you know, like you need a break mm -hmm. from my experience mm -hmm. personally. Mm -hmm. But I've just been in the U.S. for about two years now. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't like grow up here. So um, most of my experience is, you know, back, back home. home. So okay. that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And thank you for coming uh, on a weekday. Uh, you're just heading here. You came here from work. Mm hmm. Nice, I appreciate it. It makes me feel special. <laughs> <laughs> when we first scheduled it on a weekday, I was wondering that, oh, can we like, you know, I know she works, like, you know, yeah. can you make it? It yeah. probably helps that we're recording this uh, in downtown DC, right? Yes, so it was very close to both of us, so that was really convenient. Yeah, and uh, well, what do you do um, for work currently? So my main thing is I enter the Voice of America, and it's an international broadcasting company. So there are different... Um, they broadcast like to over 37 languages and I work in the English Africa division and then sometimes also help in the French Africa division. Um, so I've been doing a lot of things, especially like on shows like Straight Talk Africa or Africa 54. So basically like trying to produce. And Wait, is the Straight Talk Africa still the same franchise as the Straight Talk Straight Talk? Is that Straight Talk or Hard Talk? That's Straight Talk. Oh, okay. Straight Talk Africa, I'm sorry. Yeah. Is with the whole Shaka. Are you, are you familiar? Shaka Sali? Uh, no, 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 I'm not. Okay. But I'll definitely look it up after this episode. I mean, since I started the podcast, yeah. um, I've kind of like been delving into the world of media, you know, been learning about mixing oh. and about recording oh. and about all this stuff. Oh. Um, and thank God I have someone in the media space here exactly. today. So hopefully yeah, you can so. give me some tips. Yes. Yeah, so Shaka, uh, he's like a revered journalist. He's originally from Uganda. Um, but he's been working at VOA for more than 20 years, more than 30 years. Actually. Wow. So, yeah. Here in D.C.? Mm -hmm. nice. He's a household legend. He was also a journalist back home in Uganda. And did he live? Okay, I'm going to do my research. Like, <laughs> after this, just Shaka, you say? Yes, yeah, Shaka Sali. Shaka Sali. Uh -huh. I think I've heard about Shaka Sali. Oh. Huh. Well, wait, let me not misquote. Yes. <laughs> let me not say something wrong on the podcast. Uh, but yeah, welcome. And uh, Priscilla, your last name is Diwa, right? Yes. Nice, nice. That's such a cool name, Priscilla Diwa. I, I wish it was Diva. Yeah, I was kind of like... <laughs> really cool if it was like Priscilla Di Diva. Like, so one of my internship actually told me that. And I was like, I should use that. I'm like, I got name or something. That's my nickname. <laughs> gotcha. I mean, it's such a cool name. Yeah. 
But what's your story? I mean, you're originally from uh, the DRC, mm -hmm. the Democratic Republic of uh, Congo. Yes, um, How long have you been in the U.S.? Uh, what's your what's your story exactly? Right. So I was born in DRC, as you mentioned. Um, I lived there for the first six years of my life. And then um, I moved to South Africa and lived in Pretoria. So that was a really cool experience. Um, and then when I was... Wait, you moved to South Africa at six years old? Yes. With your family? Yes. What prompted that move? Uh, um, it was a lot. I think... Not I think, but it was a lot. Um, mostly like education, as most parents want us to do. And then also there was like political unrest in the Congo back then. which there is kind of. But it's gotten better. So, yeah, we did have to move. But it's, I honestly don't mind it because it's taught me to be flexible. And, like, I don't really get attached to a place. I enjoy the memories that I had and I value it. But wherever I go is wherever I'm supposed to be. And I think at every stage in my life, like, something has happened where I needed to be there at the right time, the right place. So Yeah, I mean, it, it's amazing you say that because that's something I, too, can relate to. I mean, I was just talking to you about how I might be moving to Denver yeah. uh, from D.C. Yeah. Uh, in a few weeks. Uh, fingers crossed. I don't know what will happen. But like a lot of people were saying, that, oh, you know, uh, you know, from D.C. to Denver is like from big city to kind of like Denver is still cool, but it's mm -hmm. like a smaller. Yeah. So if I'm going to be OK. And I was trying to explain to them that, hey, you know, my dad was in the Nigerian Air Force. Mm -hmm. uh, Nigeria is a country of 36 states. Mm -hmm. And because it was in the military, we got to live in about 15, 20 of those states. Wow. Every, you know, I was always like moving. Mm. And even now, like I've worked in like three different countries. Mm. I've been to a whole bunch of places. So mm. like you, like I, I really don't have, I'm like a new man. I can just pick yeah, up and go. Exactly. Um, so I guess, you know, from an early age and I went to boarding school also. So <laughs> like <laughs> as long as I have my laptop, my phone, like and my credit card, uh, you that did. can be used anywhere in the world. Like I'm gone. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. Oh, that must be interesting. So South Africa, um, what was the difference being that you were six years old? Mm -hmm. Um, you saw the world from your, um, lens having lived six years on the earth in one country and you went so young, um, what was the major difference, not in hindsight, but at that particular point in time that you saw between the DRC and Pretoria? Um, I think one of the main thing with Pretoria is that, well, obviously South Africa is a melting pot. And I think to this day, I contribute. My... Wait, South Africa is a melting pot? Yes. Really? Absolutely. Okay. To this day, like I, um, I give props to Africa because I'm the kind of person where I love semi-obsessive diversity. Like, I love being around people in different culture. And I learned that aspect from South Africa. Like, that's what I was exposed to as a young age. Um, people from Venezuela, a lot of the Indian population, Dutch, um, other countries in Africa, even, like, different clans within South Africa of its own. Um, that's the first thing I noticed, the, the main difference between the DRC and South Africa. And then also had to be... Uh, mindful of also the language because in Congo I was used to either hearing like Lingala, which is our national language, and also French. So those are the two things I just like also heard. But moving in South Africa is people spoke different languages. I mean, English was one of the main ones, but also being able to like walk in the market and hearing like five different languages left and right. Um, and then for some reasons, to me, South Africa was like a free time, quote unquote, because like we didn't, we went to a private school and um, 
we didn't even, like, have, like, school buses like they have here. So, you know those, those like, double-decker buses in New York? It's, like, two stages. Yeah. Yeah, that was, like, a quote-unquote school bus. And they Like the red buses in London, like, up yes. and down? Yeah, they had okay. those in the city. And uh, my brothers and I uh, and our neighbors, um, kids used to, like, ride it to the city. And then after school, like, instead of going straight home, we would just, like, explore the city. And oh, wait, were these, like, tour buses? Um, no, they were like regular transportation buses, but they were just like oh. double, like double deckers, okay. like two levels. And so after school, like sometimes we'll stay after school, like after program, whatever, and then get on the bus and just explore. And I was like six, seven, and eight. My brother was like nine, and my older brother was six. So it was like three of us. Like imagine like a ten year old and an eight year old and a seven year old just like exploring New York City by themselves. That's how. That's literally how it was. Like it was so free. And that's why I, I, I love about South Africa. South Africa. Um, not saying that in Congo I wasn't free, but in Congo, like, we had, like, literally all our family, aunts, uncles, cousins, so we would always go over to their house. But in South Africa, I was like, no, we couldn't explore the city and just be ourselves. But my mom and my little sister were home, and my dad was here in America. So it was a different dynamic, too. I mean, it's interesting for you to say that. Um, you're a young woman. Um, so obviously, um, you didn't get to experience the apartheid era of South Africa at all. But um, I guess in, with your experience living in South Africa, there there wasn't or you didn't experience the remnants of apartheid, if mm. I would say. Uh, was there any particular incident that made you feel discriminated against or unsafe and i'm just i'm not saying this to kind of like um rouse any kind of emotion i'm just curious uh, to know that you lived in pretoria mm -hmm. uh, and i would guess maybe 20 25 years after apartheid mm -hmm. and you didn't get to experience uh, anything of the sort yeah you know what's funny um my roommate she she was born and raised in south africa but her parents are congolese so she's congolese we're the same age. Your roommate right now? Yes. Okay. She, well, she's a year older than me, but right now we're the same age. But she said that she experienced, um, you know, the aftermath of apartheid or, like, discrimination, even as a young child, like, her being five. And I was like, really? Because I, I saw you right now. I have never experienced it. Ever. So I think we maybe it has to be with, like, where we live because she, she lived in Johannesburg. And also that we were very sheltered. So I think that my mom did a really good job in allowing us to live in a world where we didn't really see any bad things. Um, but it wasn't until after we were older, I was talking with my mom and my siblings about like how good we had in South Africa. But my mom had a different experience. And that's why I said we were sheltered because I was like, have you never told us? She was like, no, I told you guys. But she had a different experience living in South Africa, um, especially like being um, being robbed and just like dealing with like a lot of like people that are rough around the edges, but those are the kind of things that she saw. But in terms of like discrimination, personally, I didn't see anything. And I don't think my mom did either because she hasn't shared that to us. And we're pretty open. Um, so yeah, I think it just depends the location where we were too. And you had two other siblings, right? I have five siblings. Oh, really? So at that time I had four siblings. My little brother wasn't born yet. He was born in the States. So it was, yeah, it was five siblings, and my dad came to America first. So it was my, just my mom and my, my four siblings. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. I mean, it's just you just touched on the point there that um, 
the way we see certain things and our, our opinions and our experiences, our opinions are pretty much shaped by our experiences, mm-hmm. right? So I can imagine you talking about South Africa and your roommate talking about mm-hmm. South Africa. It's like two different mm-hmm. dynamics. And yeah. if you talk to someone who hasn't been to South Africa, they'll pretty much take your word as gold, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's one reason why, you know, starting the podcast, I, I tend to have just like a casual conversation. Mm-hmm. So I'm not like telling everyone that, okay, because when I was kind of like scrimmaging ideas for the podcast, I thought about having this like documentary podcast. That, okay, today we're going to be talking about Congo. Congo is a country of 10, 30 million people. Blah, 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 blah. I, you know, I just felt better about getting people who are from those places and just having this casual conversation. So it's not like you're impressing your experience of other people, but between our conversation, people can just pick one or two things um, that they probably didn't know. So um, that's exciting. Okay, so how long did you stay in South Africa? From when you were six uh, to when eight? So just two years. Wow. And so so short a period of time, but it was so memorable that, you know, you still remember it. That's nice. Have you had any, has any city given you that kind of pleasure ever since? No. No? No. When you moved to the States, did you move to D.C. directly or you've lived elsewhere? I lived in Maryland my entire life. Or in, I would say the DMV. Yeah, yeah. I've lived in DMV my entire time. I've been here in the States. Oh, okay. So you you grew up in Maryland uh, Mm -hmm. from the time you were eight till now. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to ask you the same question. Um, You said that you observed diversity in Mm -hmm. South Africa and the language was kind of different. Mm -hmm. Was it the same thing coming to Maryland? Or what were the differences between Maryland and Pretoria? Were they double-decker buses? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Definitely were, but mostly, I don't, well, I haven't seen double-decker buses in Maryland. I've only seen it in New York. That would be cool to have it here. I think they have a couple running around DC. They're yeah. like tourist, oh, yeah. tourist buses. Yeah, DC they do. Yeah, whenever um, I see those buses go by, like, yeah. You should get on it. I haven't, not you yet. Should. I don't it's think I've experience. done. I don't think I've done the touristy stuff mm-hmm. in DC. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been to maybe two museums. Uh-huh. I've been to the White House. I haven't done <laughs> all the monuments yet. Okay. Um, even before I went to the White House, I was passing the White House on my way to work uh-huh. like for like a year before I like, <laughs> you never even stopped like well, oh. let me even stop and just walk over and see, but you know. Um, yeah. Um so one of the main difference, well, they're <clears throat> similar in some ways. So I can't speak for the rest of America, but like in a DMV it's very diverse. Um, well, depends where you are. But where I grew up in Montgomery County, super, super, super diverse. I think in 2012, around those age, like the city that I lived in, Gaithersburg, it, it was um, rated as the most diverse city in America that year. So that's something that I didn't really have to um, to change. Um, I love the demographic there. So I'm really glad. I don't know how or why my dad chose Maryland, but I'm glad he did because I don't know how, how it would be if like, I was living in Nebraska or something. Now that it's wrong, but I just like, I love my diversity because that's what the world made up of. Um, the difference is, you know how I told you before, like, I felt free. We felt free to go anywhere, do anything. Yeah. It wasn't the same here. Really? Even um, though you were older? Yeah. Interesting. Um, it was actually like, well, when we were younger, we were, we were allowed to go to play outside only like within our neighborhood. But even if we went like a little bit outside our neighborhood or like, um, we stay after school and we can come right back home and say, where are you? Like, we'll be here at what time? This time. 
And I was like, in South Africa, we were like six and seven. We came home whenever after school and like there was no worry. Even though it wasn't like our home country, I think just like in Africa in general, you have a sense of like calm, knowing that people look after their child even if they're not a family. So I think that's like a level of trust that my parents had. But like here in America, since we're the only one of our family here, uh, well, except for my cousin who's in Texas, but there's no other immediate family. So it's like we're on our own. So my parents had to be like really strict about where we were and knowing what we're doing. They were pretty lenient, but it wasn't the same feeling of like being free. And I think also I personally didn't experience this, to be honest, but some of my friends who were immigrant as well, they were sharing stories of like how they first came to this country and they were bullied for being African and stuff like that. And I was like, really? Because I don't think I've no one's ever told me like, oh, go back home or like, oh, African British graduate. Like when they told me that, I was like, what is an African British graduate? I mean, you live in Montgomery County, to be fair. And so did they. We went to the same high school, but we went to different elementary and middle schools, but it was still like in the same county. But I've never experienced that. But I think that's like a shit with like people not or people making fun of like where you where you're from because you're from like a different country. Okay, that, it wasn't like that. Huh, that's interesting. I know. And it's funny, I always keep getting people that grew up in Montgomery County on the podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> seriously, um, a whole bunch of people. Walton grew up in, uh, oh, I'm sorry, that was PG, not Montgomery. Oh, PG, yeah, uh, yeah. So PG is uh, Prince, George, yeah, Prince George's yeah. County, uh-huh. and Montgomery County is mm-hmm. uh, something. But they are both uh, counties in Maryland. Right. Okay, cool. What are your earliest experiences growing up in the Congo? Um, the Congo is an interesting country, uh, the country of uh, Patrice Lumumba, mm-hmm. birth country of uh, Romelu Lukaku. Mm-hmm. But what were your earliest experiences? Uh, I know you were six years old, but what were your earliest experiences growing up there? Um, it was filled with a bunch, a bunch of music. Of course, like a country of music. Really? Roomba, uh, like Papa Wimba, R.P. Oh, yeah. Um, Fali, Kofi, Madinu, Tusa, all those people. Oh, wait, Fali Pupa is from DRC? Yes. Why did I always think Fali was from Togo? No. Wait, 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 wait. Fali is from DRC? Yes, he speaks in Gala in most of his songs. Well, in all the songs. But yeah. you, I, I really can't differentiate between Lingala and French. Mm. What's the major difference between those two? Or maybe you should, do you speak uh, Lingala or French? I speak French. Lingala, I speak a little bit. Um, okay. But I understand it fully because my parents spoke it with each other in the house. So. Okay, can you say like a sentence in both French and Lingala? Oui. Oui, yes. Oui, tu comprends quand je dis français? You understand me when I say French? Lingala, nalubaka muke. So I speak only a little bit. Sorry, say that one more time. Nalubaka. Nalubaka? Muke. Muke. Muke means a little bit. Nalubaka means like I speak. And is Lingala a tribal language? It's a national language. Okay. Right, but um, it also depends like where you are in your region too. Like in each tribe have like their own um, their own languages too, like Congo and all this stuff. But then also in different regions, you speak more language than other. So for example, my dad's from my dad's Muyombe, so that means I'm Muyombe. That's the tribe. Muyombe. Uh huh. Okay. So um, my mom is from the east 
of Congo. So she speaks Swahili as well. Swahili. So she, yes. So she speaks oh. her own native uh, language, like Congo from her tribe. Uh, she speaks Swahili. She speaks Lingala, French, English. So depending on where you are in the region, you can speak more than the national and your French language. So okay. people there, like, as as you know, like people like in Africa speak like four or five languages. Yeah. And, and, and Lingala has been there like since time. Uh, it wasn't like a, a language that was ca- uh, called out of French or something like Patois or something. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Respect. Yeah. And it's spoken by everyone, virtually everyone in the country. Yes. Yeah. Respect. Yeah. Respect. Okay. And Muyumbe is the land of the divas, basically. Yeah. <laughs> or the divas. Yeah, divas. Diva for me, though. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's my dance. So I'm sorry, I caught you off. You were trying to talk about your experiences growing up in the Congo with the music. Yeah, so music was big. Music was huge. Um, a lot of family. Of course, like in a collectivist culture, you're always surrounded by your family. In the what? Collectivist culture. Oh, okay. Collectivist culture. Yes. Okay, okay, okay. Um, you're surrounded by family at all times. So that's like, I always had good memories of Congo. Um, even mom, like she said, like after church, like people would just like come over the house on Sundays, like they talk and then all the kids play. So it was a good life. It was filled with like, I don't know, company all the time, laughter. I feel like anytime you're in your home country, you always have like those sweet memories that like is like near and dear to your heart. So that's why, like, I'm always thinking about going back, which I should be going back really soon. Um, just, like, being outside of the whole family, like, the sun shining bright as heck, and, you know, everyone just laughing, making fun of each other. And that's something I learned, too, in Congo. I think that's why maybe it's, like, to have tough skin, because, like, everyone's going to go on you, so you just have to like, take it. literally and figuratively <laughs> both. <laughs> literally. Yeah. So it's, it's good memories. I, I, I love Love the Congo. I mean that that that's one thing that's not really prevalent here in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember there was this funny story. Uh, a friend of mine, a Nigerian, was telling me like in Nigeria, it's a compliment in most times to be fat. Like it's a good thing mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah, because what fat or thick. It depends. I, I would say fat in a way, like not like um, obese, mm. but like fat. Like if you started, if you graduated from school and maybe two years ago, you guys get together for a reunion mm. and you're like, you've added a ton of weight. Like your mm. classmate will be like, wow, he must have got a very good job, man. Dude, oh. it's a compliment to, to, to see you after one and say like, hey, John, you added a bit of weight, man. Have you been? Like, oh, really? Oh, thanks, man. Of wealth, man. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like something like that. Mm-hmm. And dude was, <laughs> dude brought that whole vibe to Chicago. <laughs> and unfortunately for him, he, oh. he um, said it to a girl. Mm. Oh, no. Unfortunately for him. So it was like crazy. Was the girl Nigerian? She wasn't Nigerian, but she was black. So, black American? Yeah, she oh. was African-American. So he was just like, oh, yeah, it's been a while. I, mean, I haven't seen you since last semester. Did you put up some weight? And the girl was like, what did you say? You know what? Fuck you. Oh. <laughs> and I keep laughing. <laughs> so it just goes to show like the, I mean, what you said just made me remember that. It's, it's a difference in right. the way. Yeah, the way people do things, um, like Africa, when you when you have affection for someone, mm-hmm. 
you in Nigeria we call it yabin. Yabin. Uh, yeah, they kind of like make fun of someone. Okay. Uh, like, dude, what's up, man? You've been like me and my brother. We always go back and forth and stuff. Like when I told him, like, hey, you know, I might be going to Denver. I'm like, oh, dude, better get your. I mean, you're gonna be moving out of Georgia. I'm just like, you know, making fun of me and yeah. stuff. And I'm like, oh, you're gonna be going, you know, and stuff. Mm-hmm. But here, I guess the PC culture is more prevalent in a sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why sometimes uh, immigrants, I, I can't speak for all immigrants, but some immigrants just tend to collectively operate within their own um, people, uh, in a sense, because some people find it difficult. Uh, some people find it easy to blend and like get into other communities and stuff, but some people just find it difficult. I, I know people personally who have been living in the U.S. for 10, 12 years, but they've never really operated outside. Yeah their own community yeah but hopefully you know with podcasts like this we can you know even if it's one person i mean that's 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 good enough try and you know get people to take those chances Mm -hmm. uh go out there uh when in rome i guess right uh, to like the romans and so okay so you came to uh maryland uh you went to school uh you delved into the media space what prompted that did you want to operate in that space did it stem from your love for the music growing up. What did you want to do? Do you want to be seen? Um, what prompted you getting into the media space? You know what? It took me in my college career. I changed my major like I can't be too many times. Um, I think because, and even though like I'm doing communication, like I don't think that's all I'm going to be doing because I have so many interests and I don't want to limit myself to just one. But I feel in college you have to choose like at least one. Um, so. What made me decide on communication was someone told me to find what your passion is, find what you're good at, and then see like what's there in between. And that's why I chose communication. I have a passion for writing, telling stories, and then also like my biggest thing is like changing the, the narrative. Um, that's something like I've seen like growing up. It's like why? It's specifically to Africa. Like I'm just gonna say that whatever I do always ties back to Africa. If I was going to be a teacher, I would have taught in Africa. If I was going to be a doctor, I was going to be a doctor in Africa. That's that's where my heart is. So, but with communication, I thought like, wait, so people are having news and all these shows and only showing like the slums or whatever, and it's like, I have the power to do something different. Like I have the power to showcase Africa in a different light, in the light that people uh, aren't used to. People don't know that's living out there because most of the time it's based out of ignorance what people think about Africa. And uh, there's a group of people, sometimes I don't blame them because that's all they see. But at the same time, it's like you have to take, you have to educate yourself and not just let the media tell you what's true. So that's kind of like where and why like I chose to go in that sector because I'm like, I could do anything different. Was there a particular experience uh, that kind of like was the straw that broke the camel's back? Because you talked about people having misconception. Did you experience someone having a misconception about Africa and you hear about things. I mean, besides the general stuff, like what happened to you specifically that made you think, oh, you know, I want to do something to change this. Mm -hmm. Um, There wasn't specifically one event uh, that like kind of broke the straw. It was just like a compilation of like so many different things and so many different comments throughout my life. I'm just like, really? And like also, I think the biggest thing that's like a, a little bit of my pet peeve is like people refer to Africa as like a country. Like it was like a long time ago and one of our district manager at my old job, I was like in high school 
She was like, oh yeah, I went to Africa to do a mission. But I'm like, I don't know where, but she couldn't in any country. And I was like, wait, she went there, but she couldn't tell you the country no, she went to. No, she was like, yeah. Wow. Africa. Like, How long did she stay? I have no idea. I, I didn't even ask any questions. Even if it's a day, like <laughs> you don't know what country you went to. Did you go through a flight? <laughs> I'm telling you, I was like, like, okay, it's cool. But yeah, it, it's just like a lot of things that like people say or do, or even like you know the commercial about like feed a child with like one dollar a day. I'm like, yes, children are starving, but at the same time, a lot of children are not starving either. Like, a lot of kids in this country are starving, over millions. So it's like, why don't you put a commercial of them, like, starving and showing them, you know, in poverty? Because it's, she's there. And um, there was an interview that Akon did. I love Akon. Um, he's, just, he's done so much for the continent. Shout out to Senegalese Jalof. Yes. Yes. That's, that's the best one. I'm not even trying to, fight. I'm not even trying to start Real. a fight. I mean, they're the original. They're starting Jalof, though. I know they did. Of but, course. So um, whoever's the original is going to make it LeBron best. wasn't the first basketball player. I'm just saying. Okay, or that's, Jordan. Right, that's, that's basketball. But when it comes to Jalof. Wait, really? Senegalese Jalof is the best for you? Yeah. Not for me. It's just the best. You must really love Akon. <laughs> <laughs> no, it has nothing to do with Akon. And I'm saying this from a place of love. Like I said, you know, <laughs> Africans were like, you know, yabbing each other, you know, just it's from a place of affection. But, uh-huh. you know, I, I, you know, there's this argument, of course, between Nigeria and Ghana and Jalof. It's been like going back and it's forth. Ridiculous. But yeah, this is like the first time I'm really like being up close with someone standing up for Senegalese Jalof. So yeah, that, I guess, should I attribute that to you being contrarian, not just liking things that people like, or you genuinely... I genuinely think they're the best. Okay. And, like, I don't like all the hype, but it's, like, give credit where credit's due. Not saying... By me saying Senegalese love is the best, I'm not downgrading any other countries. I'm just saying first, that they yeah. started first, and... Therefore, they know how to make it best. Everyone has their own versions, but they know how to do it best. That's okay, all I'm saying. Okay. I mean, if we start talking about Jalof, we'll probably need a part two or part I know, three. I'm not going to country where they make Jalof. Like, call it make. We make rice and stuff, but we don't really call it Jalof. So. What's a popular dish in Congo? Oh, cassava leaves. That's in English. Really? Cassava? Yes. yes. In, oh. uh, in, we call it fondue. Fondue. Mm. Okay. But it's, it's basically cassava leaves. Like How, how's it made? Oh my god! So it's like these green leaves um, from the cassava crop, right? Yes. The leaves of the cassava. Yes. Gotcha. And you cut it uh, first. Well, back home, if you have your own garden, or even here, you just like collect it. But like usually, if you buy like African store, it's like frozen, and you boil it, and then um, you let it boil for a while, and then you have to, of course, do the um, supasa, the vegetables. Okay. And onions, of course. Do, do you like fry with oil? What do you no, do? No, no, you don't fry it. Just boil it. Yes, but then you also put um, what's the oil? What am I forgetting? The oil, palm oil. Palm That's oil and cassava leaves. To, okay. You have to cook it with palm oil. Okay, a um, typical African dish. Yes, right, but not too much though, because too much oil is not good. Okay. Um, and then you also put like um, I forgot to say the word aubergine in English. Eggplants. So it's a lot of vegetables, and then okay. after that, you put your seasoning. You let what, what type of eggplants? The emoji the, eggplant or the, the white, one. the African the purple eggplant? One. The purple one. Yes. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, so after you cut the vegetables, you let it like boil for like another hour, and then you can put. You like, dice up the eggplant, or you kind of like put no, it in big chunks? Just put it in big chunks. Because so it's it gets for the smaller. flavor. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. It gets smaller. Okay. Yes. Uh, 
So I yeah. guess you don't add a lot of water because vegetables and eggplants mm-hmm. have some water. Yes, and exactly. Water there. Okay. But the secret to cassavoli is onions. Onions make a big difference. You have to put onions. And then you can put like a spice, a little spice. So I put like pepper. Okay. And then usually people put um, like meat on the side, but sometimes like you can put like sardines with um, cassavoli. Really? It's not, it's not, um, it's sardines. Yeah, it's sardines. Yeah, but it's like the big ones though. I don't okay. know what they call it. Fish or sardines? No, it's sardines, but it's like big. Like it's sardines like a in a can. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's basically when we eat it with rice. That's like the main thing. Nice. Or yeah, but that's like oh my god, that's the best. I can eat it. I can Wait, eat it every day. Do you use it as a sauce to eat with rice, or you kind of like mix the rice all up in it, like jollof style kind of? No, no, it's not like jollof. It's okay, like so you put it yeah. as a side dish to the rice. No, of. it's not really like a side. It's like you put uh you put you put rice and then you put cassavis on top of the rice. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So like a sauce, basically. It'll, somehow, you know, like coleslaw and rice. Kind of, yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, pondu? Pondu. Are there any... I know there are, there are African restaurants, but are, are there Congolese restaurants in America? I haven't seen any. You know, like, uh, the biggest population of Congo in America, the most, a lot of them are Atlanta. Atlanta, mm. North Carolina, a bunch. Um, North Carolina. Yes, there's a bunch of Interesting. Congolese, North Carolina, okay. Atlanta, and Houston, Texas. So here in the DMV, there are some Congolese, but not there's not really that much. I think here is mostly West Africans. Of course, Nigeria, you have Ghana, you have Cameroon. Um, but yeah, but in the DMV, there's not as much as Congolese to make an influence to have like a Congolese restaurant. But do they serve at least pondu? Because pondu is pretty popular. It's a staple, right? Yes. Can, can you get that in some restaurants? And even if it's just like a special every Thursday, so you haven't come across. Mm-hmm. So you just practically make it at home. Yes. Okay. Because I was going to look for some way to try it. I wish. Okay. I wish. Okay, cool. Okay. So we are talking about getting into media and how you want to change the narrative, mm-hmm. uh, the African narrative. Mm-hmm. How do you intend to do that? Uh, by focusing, it's a lot of things. So, not only do I want to focus on like profiles of people who are doing great things, um, it can be there. Of course, they have to be African, but they don't have to be based in the continent. They can also be like in Europe or here in America um, who are doing something. So it's it's a lot of like the people and what they're doing, and not just relying on the government to wait for something to be fixed. But that's something I'm a big advocate for. Is if you have an idea. And you see a gap, then go ahead and do it. Don't just wait. Like, oh, it's the government. This will take forever. Nope. Go ahead and do it. Um, and then also, it's all uh, the living space, right? Uh, I see like a lot of like slums, poor villages, all that. And not to say the village is bad. The village is lit. People there are strong. People there are wise. They're hardworking and inspiring. But it's just like the living condition that sometimes they show. It's like, oh no, the village is a good place to be in. So I think the living comments is the biggest thing. Like there are people who are well off in Africa that you would not even think that they have here in America. For example, Kenya, oh my gosh, freaking beautiful. Nairobi is a beautiful city. Of course, Nigeria, you guys are like one of the most beautiful countries. South Africa, Congo, Senegal. Oh my gosh. So yeah, Senegal is amazing. It's beautiful. So I want to show like the people and also the living commons that not just some rundown village or rundown slums where people are, you know, are 
don't look presentable. So it's, it's those things I wanted to show. It's like, yes, like we're up there. We're developed. <laughs> we're developing. And that's one of the things I want to focus on. So do you want to show that, like, uh, what you see yourself doing, like being a travel journalist? Uh, do you want to do it in documentary form? Um, do you just want to, I don't know, like, I understand that it's a long-term plan. Mm -hmm. So maybe you haven't, like, thought out the process. But I'm just trying to, like, dig out one or two aspects of that aspiration in case we have listeners who might want to, you know, have a team up or, you know, have some suggestions mm -hmm. uh, later down the line. Um, so... As as far as the people, that's one of the main reasons why I started my YouTube channel that I literally created yesterday. Um, but I've had the idea for a while, so I think that's where the people's gonna be. Now with the place, um, I'm definitely thinking of having one of my long term goals to have like my own show or like um, a series where I just like travel to different places in the continent and just show the beauty of it, like. All beauties, high-rise buildings, spas, hotels, whatever, whatever it is. And then just like show people like, hey, we have both sides. I'm not trying to hide the bad side because it's there. The bad side is everywhere, including here in America. But I also want to level up the playing field and be like, yeah, we have that. We're struggling. But at the same time, we're also prospering and thriving. Um, so that's the long-term goal. Nice, nice. And no better time to do that than now because we have so many Africans uh, doing great things mm -hmm. all over the world. Um, the world is finally paying attention to things like Afrobeats, mm -hmm. the film industry, the fashion industry mm -hmm. is thriving, mm -hmm. and, you know, um, things like that. So um, I guess you're in the sweet spot. Yeah. In the next 20 years, you can really capitalize on that. Exactly. Let's see. Now, let, let me talk a little bit about some of the things that have been going on back home in the DRC. Historically, um, I know you said um, you were sheltered a little bit growing up, and you, when last were you back home? I feel like oh, last. Oh wow! Oh okay, okay. So it's been a while um, since you were six. Mm -hmm. uh, you haven't been back home. Um, do you keep an open communication to friends or family or online or something to just know what's going on back home? Yeah, only family. Um, yeah, so I speak to my cousins, um, and actually one of my cousins is here. And he lives in Texas, um, but I'm also in communication with my cousins, of course, and my aunt. And yeah. Okay, okay. I, I guess I can still ask this question, uh, but I understand the fact that you know you haven't been back home uh, for a while. Uh, I don't know how much of the conflict uh, probably your parents told you about, or you read on the news, but. Even like historically from the whole Belgian involvements uh, 100 plus years ago to the whole Lumumba thing in the 60s and to, I guess I'll call it civil war, like the spillover from Rwanda. Um, what's that whole thing like? Did, was that a factor also in your family moving? Um, how much, what's it like right now um, for people currently in the DRC and how is the diaspora network kind of like getting together to make some changes? And again, I know you haven't been back home for a while, but to the extent that you're involved or uh, knowledgeable about that particular incident. So, right. Well, yeah. the, great, the great thing about technology is you can still know something you cannot think. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> so even though I haven't been back, I am aware of what's going on. Um, so yeah, so part of that conflict um, with, you know, the Civil War was one of the reasons why we moved. 
one of the big factors why we moved. Um, and then why it's happening. So Congo is in Central Africa. It's literally in the middle of Africa, right? So the West and America as well, they all depend on Congo's resources. Your iPhone, your iPad, all the electric cars, Colton, one of the biggest, biggest mineral comes from Congo. Correct. Uh, so it's like literally the whole world wants a piece of the pie and we have it. Okay. So that's the biggest reasons why on the surface, it looks like it's just, you know, other things, but deep down, um, some conflicts are created. You know, some conflicts are created on purpose as a distraction to get the minerals. So, um, I don't know how we're going to stop it. I think it starts from leadership. Um, because we have to stop allowing other countries to take advantage of us. Sure, we could definitely, you know, um, share our resources, but it has to be in a way that not only benefits the West, but also benefits the people. When you say other countries take advantage, what do you mean, like interfere yes. with how the country's being run? Absolutely. Okay. So, like, can you get in politics no <laughs> so, it's fine it's fine <laughs> that's, that's a long talk that gets me heated but i'm not even gonna go there i mean um, it, it, it was fun the first time i heard about the whole mother russia u.s election thing mm-hmm. like the u.s have been being involved in a whole bunch of countries affairs for years yeah, on your own. Like, like, i appreciate america but goodness oh gracious like goodness. focus on your own issues first we have terrorists this shooting that just happened, like, what are you doing about it? It's, it's almost like it happens. It's like a big shooting every single month. I'm like, you see that nowhere else in the country. I mean, nowhere else in the world, pardon. I'm like, okay, yeah, like, you can focus on, like, helping people with human rights and stuff like that. But it's like, what are you doing at home? How are you addressing it? Not just by a speech. Like, make some action so people here can feel safe. You talk about other places are unsafe. We're being shot at randomly for nothing at all. So that's all I have to say. And just post credits, let's just talk <laughs> a little bit more about that. Um, you know, it's when I was doing a little bit of research about it, and you know, I just heard about because I thought the whole um, Tutsi and Hutu thing was happened in Rwanda, mm-hmm. but it kind of like spilled over to the Congo in a sense, yes. and I didn't know that. Yes. Do you have a huge Tutsi population or Hutu population is kind of like um, the same number? Uh, was it migrants that were living into Rwanda that kind of like started stirring up things in the Congo? How exactly did that yes. happened? So in the 1990s, when the war started with the Hutus and Tutsis, um, the Hutus was, were the ones uh, perpetrating and killing the Tutsis. So um, when the war was like, when the war was coming to an end, um, a lot of Hutus, uh, Hutus, pardon, flee, uh, into Congo. And most, like, I don't know if you know the map, but Rwanda is on the east side of Congo. So we're literally like neighboring countries. So a lot of Hutus flew into Congo and they were hiding in the, in the east. So then, um, so then people were trying to get rid of them in our country. But in the, while in that process, they were killing Congolese people living in the East and Hutus. Um, so I think the, the Hutus like mixing with the Congolese people in the East mm. was where the biggest 
uh, issue came from, especially so close to the border. border. Yeah. Yeah. Was well, still part of like it's still a different country. So yes, yeah. But even before the war, I mean, like uh, I think right now Congo. No, I think I know for sure Congo and Rwanda don't have the best uh, um, relationship. relationship. Yes, and I think right now they're trying to met, uh, to you know fix it. Um, but before the war, like Rwanda and Congo were like brothers and sisters. Like literally, like you had like a whole lot of people from Rwanda. Um, you know, working with us, living with us, marrying between each other, having kids. Oh wait, that doesn't happen anymore. Like, if I you, mean, it still does. It's rare for. Yeah, there are there's definitely still are people who are from one and come with and marry each other, but it's not as prevalent as it was before. One hundred percent, it's not. But it's it's there. It's not the same. You guys recently had an election, I guess, last year. Uh, a new president sometime mm-hmm. this year. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, it's been what six, seven months now. Nine months. Oh, it's been longer. Mm-hmm. Okay, almost a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, has there been any body language of rectifying things? Nothing. I mean, people are saying that Chisekedi, which is our our president, he quote unquote better than Kabila. Um, but I don't know. I don't think so because there's no functioning government in Congo. Wow. There's no minister of finance, nothing. Like, really? Yeah. Like, Chizakini came in in January, and to this day, like, no one has been appointed in cabinet. So it's like, what are you doing? He has no real power. Is there a Congress or a Senate or? Yes. But there's just, there's, like, there's no body government at all. So I'm just like, what's happening? And in a way, I would, I would imagine, like, the Congress or, or the Senate don't really have the power to check. The guy at the top, not really. And even like people in the Senate, like they're all Kabila's people. Mm. So it's like it's almost as if it's like if Obama, this Obama stopped being president, he still kept his people working with Trump. Doesn't make any sense because mm. with any every administration, that's a very wild analogy. Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> right? I, I can't crazy. see that happening in the million yeah, years. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like Trump. Like, it's like Obama's like no, like my guys are still like Joe state. Biden who becomes Secretary of State, right? <laughs> So that's exactly how it is in Congo. It's like all those people, most of them are Kabila's people. So Kabila's technically still running Congo in a way. And it's funny you say that because Congo, um, historically, um, especially with Patrice Lumumba, I mean, that was someone that he pretty much started the whole thing, right? You got Kwame later, Nelson, Mandela. Right down the line, but Patrice Lumumba was someone that was beloved as yes. transcended Congo. It was yeah. kind of like the whole sub-Saharan Africa mm-hmm. and he was birthed out of the Congo. Mm-hmm. And if a country like that produced that kind of leader mm-hmm. 50 years ago, mm-hmm. um, aren't they similar leaders or those people are not just being given the opportunity or because of some kind of capitalism, because of the resources, they want to make sure that they have control, social control mm-hmm. of what's under the ground. Yes. Um, yeah. So back to Lumumba, he like he's revered not only in Congo but like the whole continent. Like he, I know he. If he was still alive, Congo would be very far right now. Um. But yes, but he unfortunately was assassinated. Uh, his body was put into acid. Um. That was a very gruesome death. But I asked my dad this question. I was like, if 
I was like, isn't anyone like Lumumba who's still out there, like with his, his whole demeanor, whole uh, ideas? I'm like, there has to be someone of integrity and stuff that was like him. And my dad said, there are, but I think it's a different time because um, people can be easily persuaded once they have power, once they have money, once they offer like all these things. And you can come in with good intentions, but you refusing power is a very, very, very hard thing to do. Um, and then also, if you like, if you like Patis Lumumba and you have this idea, you will get killed. So it's not that easy to say, oh yeah, let's, let's have someone leader who's like, well, Lumumba, who's going to let him? There's going to be a force. Absolutely. There might be a fight until someone actually is in that position, but the West has a lot to lose. Not only the West, but even our neighboring countries who are, I guess, Congo, like Rwanda and Uganda, they have a lot to lose if someone with Patis Lumumba's demeanor came into Congo because a lot of things would change. A lot. I mean, maybe that's where, um, like you said, it's a different time. Mm. Uh, that can be good and bad. Maybe that's where the ingenuity of the youth come in. Um, I mean, back in the day, they always has to, had to be a figurehead for a revolt or a revolution or whatever, from you know Martin Luther King mm-hmm. to Lumumba. The media had this sense of fella or whatever pointing out someone. Mm-hmm. Is it possible to have a movement without a figurehead? Is that possible? So it's kind of like decentralized and it's just information flowing left and right. And I don't know. It's I don't know. I don't think it's. I, I'm not going to say never, never say never, first of all, but looking at history, there hasn't really been much of a revolution without a figurehead. Because with the figurehead, you have someone who's bringing everyone together and not causing chaos. Um, you have someone who's speaking for the voice of the people um, so they can all come together. You have someone who is directly involved with the opposition. Um, you have someone who is risking their own personal lives. Um, not saying the, that regular people aren't, but, you know, having having a leader, having a figurehead, like it takes this order and makes it an order, if that makes sense. Because it's like someone leading, leading the flood. It's not everyone like running left and running right, left up and right. down. It's like come all together, you know. I mean, I, mean, I understand. Um, and it makes sense, to be honest. Um, but, you know, when I look at, organizations like existing in the world today. Of course, when you look at Facebook, you think about Mark. Uh, when you look about, I don't know, the U.S., you think about Trump when you look at... But there are some organizations, um, Jehovah Witness, for <laughs> instance, there's nobody that the public knows of. There are some companies also that when you look at, like, they don't really have that celebrity CEO like Elon Musk, but that company has still been around for 100 years mm-hmm. doing their stuff. Um, so how do they get it done? I don't know. I'm just throwing things out there. But right, right, right. You know, sometimes uh, when it gets to doing things like this, I guess someone really has to convey that message of hope, mm-hmm. um, I guess. And, you know, it maybe it might just be easier and faster uh, having that figure out there mm-hmm. to try mm-hmm. drive things. But just thinking, <laughs> yeah, uh, in a sense. Uh, I know you didn't school in... Congo for a long time, but for the brief period you went to school, I've kind of like been interested of what goes on in the education system, how influenced 
how much influence from Belgium is in mm. the Congolese education system, along with you know other systems. Mm. Of course, there was whole thing with King Leopold mm. a long time ago, mm. and um, I guess I, I guess it's safe to say over time there was a heavy influence from the Belgian culture. We have quite a number of Congolese immigrants currently living in Belgium. Um, is that something that's prevalent or the government has gone out of their way to make sure that they... They get rid of everything or their parents? Yeah. You know, it's a funny history. Um, I, well, I went to private school. So in, in most private schools, I don't know about the public schools, but we all had to speak French. So that's the first thing that when you see in any country, the influence of its colonizers is the language that they speak, the language that they're taught in school, the language that's deemed the most presentable. As, as sad as it was seen, um, people who were like well off, they didn't want their children speaking Lingala. The only one that's speaking French. Oh, so it's a classism thing Absolutely. for Lingala. Yeah. That's almost every, that's almost like pidgin English where I come mm. from. Mm. Yeah, so pidgin, and that's why I was asking the patois question. Mm. Because like how Patois is in Jamaica or Creole is in Haiti, it's kind of like similar to English, but it's almost like a classism thing in, right. a, in a sense. It's just because of Afrobeats now that's almost making it cool and cut the comedy industry to speak Pigeon English. But as yes. you were saying. Yes. Um, yeah, so that, the, the language definitely has something to do with it. Um, but to be honest, that's honestly all I remember in school, school-wise. Um, with the influence of Belgium. But I say it's a funny history because when um, we used to have a dictator, Mobutu, he, as bad as he, as he was, um, I always say good to everyone, even though like, he's bad. But um, he had such a pride for being Congolese, for being African. And at one point, he forced everyone to change their names. Like, if you had, Wait, what do you mean everyone? If if everyone, if your name was like, let's say like Joseph or Sarah or something. Wait, 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 wait. You would not have, you would drop that name and you would take your native, like, your native name. Why do you say everyone? Everyone in the country? Everyone in the country. Get out. I don't, yeah. I don't know how he did it, but. Damn. And, like it was a rule that like, you cannot have like any Western names. What's the population of Congo again? I don't know. A lot. I know just in Kinshasa. More, is it more than 20, I, 20 million? Absolutely. 30, 40? Just, just in Kinshasa, our capital, we have 10 million. Wow. And we're like the third biggest country. So I'm not even sure how many millions people would Wait, have. so everyone has to go to the government office and have a name change? I don't know how Interesting. it works, to be honest. But that's what that's what I was so like. But he, he was very, very proud to be Congolese. And that started with the names too. And that actually does make sense because not only in language, but also the names you carry. It shows. It still shows the influence of the colonizers. Like, for example, if you look at um, African Americans here in America, like the last name of Brown or Johnson, it's like that's not your last name. That's a, that's the effect of a colonizer. And I think that's kind of like where the same mindset Mobutu was from. It's like I don't want you guys to have Belgian names or uh, quote unquote Christian names who you know are from the Bible. It's like you're gonna have an authentic Congolese name. So. Okay, cool. I mean, it's been pretty interesting um, talking to you um, over the past uh, couple of minutes. I guess slowly but surely. Um, I don't know how focused our generation is uh, to effect some of these changes, especially in this era where everything is just so superficial. 
and you can't even have a real conversation with people anymore. And everyone is doing everything for cloud, mm. and it's just a mess. Especially you in the media space, you have a lot of work to do. <laughs> so yeah, but it's all good. Um, I, I want to give you the. We are gonna play something called Endgame in a minute. Okay. Um, but I just want to give you the opportunity to like. I don't know, say something, put a statement out there or ask a question about where I'm from or anything you want to do uh, just to give you the opportunity to get your personal opinion across mm -hmm. of anything. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. What do you appreciate most about living in Nigeria and living in the U.S.? Um, what I appreciate most about living in Nigeria, a lot of things... I took for granted just growing up is what helped me now. Talking about how to survive, so the work ethic, um, the street mentality, if I can call it that, um, you know, place Nigerians everywhere and, you know, kind of like find our way. And growing up, that was the norm. In fact, like when I was back home, I was even considered like some people might say, oh, you know, I wasn't like the... I don't know how else to put it. I wasn't like the most street, like the most. I didn't have like the, I was kind of like, I have like a balance of book smart and right. street smart, like 60, 40. Yeah. Um, but coming to the U.S. is just, <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, you put a, a quarterback who's been playing in the NFL and you put him in a high school league or right. something. You know, um, So I appreciate that uh, a lot, even though we have a lot of challenges. Mm -hmm. uh, I appreciate that. Um, but coming to the U.S., you might not necessarily need all that street savviness because mm -hmm. there are a lot of systems already in place mm -hmm. to make your life easy. All you need to do is just to make up your mind that you want to do something. And you know, there are a million and one systems in place to make you achieve that. So I think uh, living in the U.S., I appreciate the fact that it's not perfect. To be honest, it's far from perfect. But, you know, putting it toe-to-toe um, -to -toe with other countries in the world, you kind of like stand a chance depending on your definition of success stand a chance of at least once you're you know hard working and disciplined of you know making something of yourself so in that sense i guess it's the best of both worlds i guess yeah. for me personally but yeah that's just i guess there are tons of other things but um that's just something i can think about yeah. right now okay and what's an impact that you want to make not only it doesn't have to be Nigeria or America just like in general like what's an impact that you want to make in life that's a very very interesting question and it's something uh, I just was recording some voice notes um, this morning um, about what I want to do um, so I've been trying to figure that out for the longest time um, but I know it has to do it has something to do with community um, it has something to do with um, culture, in a sense, and it has something to do with finance, financial inclusion, in a sense. So those three things, how do I combine community, culture, financial inclusion, uh, whatever tool I use to drive those three things, technology being the easiest tool. So how do I build a platform, a community of people that can be educated, about certain aspects of certain cultures that they value. Mm -hmm. And in the same sense, um, use that education to inspire them to invest back home, to make as many people as possible 
economically free. So, like what you were talking about with Rwanda, so regardless of what Mobutu does or anyone does, or the president of Nigeria, whoever does, we have our own in the private sector. So we're not mm. depending on the government. So mm. we can run the country now. We have a voice, mm. and we don't necessarily need a figurehead to mm. give us hope because we, as a people, economically are capable of effecting change. So I guess um, what shape that would take, I really don't know. Um, this podcast is really like a hobby of mine, start from there, uh, but I'm interested in things like uh, I have experience like in mobile money, back home, uh, venture capital, being done the African way, rewriting the whole VC model in that sense. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just things like that. Um, still trying to figure it out, but it's becoming clearer and clearer um, as I go. But definitely something to affect the continents. That brings us closer together, the diaspora, people back home, and that helps us in a way more people than are now become like economically uh, free. So, that's awesome. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so we have this thing at the end of the podcast called Endgame, Mm -hmm. and it's a game we play at the end of the podcast. So, we have this casual conversation during the episode. Hopefully, people pick up one or two information, but I want to make it a little bit deliberate so people learn something. They can point to, oh, I didn't know that. Right. I learned so. I know you haven't been home for a while. Um, these questions might be considered a little bit difficult. I don't want to scare you, but trust me, if you can answer one of them, okay. you can answer all of them. Okay. So, are you ready? Yes. Okay. Are you a fan of boxing? Boxing? Yeah. Not a fan of boxing, but a fan of boxers. That makes sense. Let me guess. <laughs> Let, should, can I can I take a guess of the boxers? Yes. How recent? Let's start from there. How recent? Yeah, last five years. No more. Really? I don't even know any boxers right now, to be honest. Really? Except for who's that guy that like probably beats the same? Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather, the and always showing off and yeah. stuff. Yeah, and the one from the Philippines. Pacquiao. Yeah, those are the only boxers right now. Wow, so... And Gregory, the, the other guy. The Gregory? Greg something. Uh, who's Greg? He's like Irish or something. He also fought with Mayweather. Oh, the, the dude in the UFC? Yeah. Uh, I don't think he's a boxer. Um, mm. What's his name? Wow, I can't believe I'm blanking. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I'm blanking mm-hmm. out. But yeah, the dude in the UFC who took boxing lessons to go fight me. Uh-huh. <laughs> I made a ton of money. Oh, yeah? Okay, interesting. Uh, and I asked that question. But wait, before I even go to the question, what vintage boxers do you like? Sugar like, Ray. Um, and of course, Muhammad Ali. Of course. Okay, yes. okay, okay. Yeah, I you. I'm impressed. <laughs> I'm impressed. I can't even lie. Okay, let's go. And uh, you like Muhammad Ali? Yes. Okay, so obviously you know about the Rumble in the jungle. Yes, Okay, do you know what country that was for in? Congo. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> if we didn't know that question, I'll be revoked as a Congolese. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. The Rumble in Jungle was fought um, Ali versus Foreman mm-hmm. October 30th, 1974, in Kinshasa of what was then called Zaire, but now the Democratic Republic of Congo. Okay, so I guess they're going to get all the questions, right? Second question 10 points for you. <laughs> <laughs> What's the largest country uh, by area in sub-Saharan Africa? How many guesses do I get? I'll give you three guesses. Sudan. 
the largest country? No. I mean, so that was just split like yeah, a couple of years ago. So I don't think they'll be large anymore. Oh, but right. I know Congo's one of them because we're top three. Is that an answer or you want to? <laughs> that is an answer. Are you putting it down? Yes. So we're gonna do what's that game show? Uh, we're gonna give you a car if it's correct, or we're gonna give you I don't know cheese if it's not. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that is correct. Actually, the Congo. <laughs> yeah, the Congo, and I was surprised myself, you know, finding this out. Um, Congo is the largest country by area mm-hmm. in sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, it's the large, it's the second largest in Africa after Algeria. Yes. Uh, about 2.3 million square kilometers. Mm-hmm. About that's about one million square miles. Mm-hmm. So it's a very, very large country. So third question and the last question: Do you know the deepest river in the world? The Congo River. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you actually know that? Or you yes, just... I do. Oh, yeah. The River Congo is <clears throat> the deepest river in the world. Um, can go up to depths of uh, 720 feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know any other rivers in Africa? The Nile River. Check. Mm-hmm. That's it. We had this song when I was growing up about the rivers in Africa. It used to be like, rivers in Africa, Nile, Niger, Congo, Kasai, Orange, Lipopo, Zambezi. It was like, that was, those were the top rivers yes, in Africa that yeah. we sing. So I can still remember it like... It was yesterday. Yeah, like well, yesterday. So yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, you want to like drop your social media? Uh, mm-hmm. I know you don't have too much of a digital I footprint. Know. Why is that exactly? Because you know it was um, tough. I was like, I tried to go to Facebook, to Instagram, to LinkedIn. I, like, I know. She doesn't I, pull herself out there. I'm not. No. Or private. I'm a very private person. Um, so with Facebook, it's funny because I actually deactivated my account, but I had to like activate it up again for um, working at West of America because I managed some of the social some of the Facebook pages of the um, of the shows. So it's like, I have to have it back. So I'm only using Facebook only because I'm told to do my job. <laughs> oh. um, but I don't use my page. I use the page that I manage. Um, with Twitter, I started using Twitter in high school. Uh, Snapchat. Really? Yeah. Snapchat, um, Snapchat, Instagram. I took a two-year sabbatical off of social media. And when I got back, I lost the... I really... I, I was like, what's the problem having Snapchat? So the only thing I use right now is Instagram. And I only have like two pictures. So I will get back on there pretty soon. But I love Instagram because I can go on like different pages and learn like a lot of information. I'm kind of like a nerd. So, but also like, you know, I love in- using Instagram for what it's used for. Um, but anyways, my Instagram handle that I use, it's... Which you'll never check. So it yes. doesn't matter. <laughs> I, will, I promise I will check. I have the app. <laughs> It's Priscilla underscore Diwa, and that's P-R-I-S-C-I-L-L-E underscore D-I-W-A. Gotcha. And that's the same everywhere. You know, you almost strike me like, and it's a good thing Mm. in a way. uh, It's kind of a refreshing, just thinking differently. Mm. Um, You love old boxers. Mm. You consider Senegalese Jalof more... You don't really use social media. You're getting off social media in high school when everyone is getting on more social media. Mm-hmm. Like it's just refreshing to mm-hmm. see your your approach and the way your thought process. Mm-hmm. A bit of a contrarian, but that's good. Yeah, uh, that's not bad. Um, do you have any tips for me? I mean, being in the media space, studying communication, working at Voice of America. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have this. 
podcast, do it yourself, set up here, just trying to, you know, get these stories out there. Mm-hmm. Is that something you think uh, I can do better on the podcast? Yes. Um, well, for the first thing, you're doing a great job, even like with having this idea and why you're starting it is an amazing start. And I think it's refreshing to have within like our community. Um, so props to you for doing that in a different way. Um, the only thing I would Maxi. say, what's that? Maxi. Oh, there, look at that French. There we go. <laughs> uh, what I would say is, uh, to learn just like better technology skills and not like in a bad way, but like um, there's like other um, website you can use. What is called Linda. I don't know if you heard of it, Yeah. but they literally have like three courses on like everything. Yeah, so, I think it's called LinkedIn Learning now. Yes. Yeah. They just changed the name for the merge of LinkedIn. Um, but yeah, using that to kind of like enhance your skills with like the microphones or whatever it is. Um, so like doing like self-learning as well. Um, and then I also also say like for your, your podcast to put it on different platforms. Of course, you have Spotify and SoundCloud, but also like on um, your art Instagram, of course, on YouTube also, if that's possible. Um, and then, you know, I know a lot of people like are better using by hearing, by hearing information, but then also other people are better with like... Um, by seeing things, things right. yeah. There's a podcast called um, Impact Theory, which is my favorite, with Tom Bilyeu. He has both, like, uh, here and one on Spotify. Wait, by who? Tom Bilyeu. I, I thought that was by Malcolm Gladwell. Well, that's Revisionist Theory. Yeah. Impact Theory, you said? Okay, I, po- I, I might be wrong. Yeah, yeah. it's a podcast. Um, yeah, so he's on Spotify, all those things, but then he also puts his content on YouTube. On YouTube. Right. So it's just a better way, like, if people are more attracted by, yeah, by seeing and or by hearing. You know what? Mm-hmm. I'm, I've kind of, thank you mm-hmm. um, for that, but I've kind of, like, been struggling, and maybe you changed my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, there is value to mm-hmm. visuals, um, I would say, but I'm not really, kind of like how you are with social media. Mm-hmm. Um, my Instagram is currently on private. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm rarely on Facebook. Mm. I probably use Twitter mm. a bit more. You know, I haven't struggled with the decision of putting my name on this podcast. Right. I just like wanted to put it out there. I mean, this is not like this is more like a side hobby of mine. I, I rather the light shine on whatever I'm doing mm. than myself. And you can maybe you kind of like picked up on that when I was talking about being a figurehead of a movement, right? right? I rather light shine on the movement than someone who once something happens, if he cheats on his wife, for instance, mm-hmm. like the movement is in mm-hmm. jeopardy just mm-hmm. because one person decides to do something stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, like so they folks have told me this before, but I kind of like have this fact that ugh, bringing on YouTube, I'm not putting my face to this thing. I was even struggling with putting my name to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I'll just put the camera behind me so you see only my back or something. Yeah. I, I might figure that out, but I don't want to be like the center of, um, I really want people to be interested in the stories I'm telling, but maybe to reach a wider audience, right. I might be forced to use right. a YouTube down right. the line. Um, and even like you mentioned too, like if you're not comfortable being on camera, like the, the different angles you can use, you know, you can have one behind your back, you can have one just like diagonal across the, the guest, so it's just the guest, and then like it's your voice. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can 
however you work it, you can manage it. Yeah, that might work. At least I know you now, so um, I'll be leaning on you for technical expertise, (laughs) stuff like that. Yeah, thank you very much for coming. Uh, You guys can follow follow Culture Class Podcast everywhere. Um, It's Culture Class Podcast everywhere except Twitter. Twitter is Culture Class Pod. Um, if you want to reach out to Priscilla, she dropped her Instagram handle. You can reach out to her. If you have questions about the show um, or any inquiries or whatever, send us an email. It's culturepasspodcast at gmail.com. And yeah, thanks for listening. Have a great day.